0: As you're being seated, if you will find your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 37 through 54 today. I want to introduce you to four terms that you may or may not already be familiar with. The first term is missiologist. Now, if you haven't ever heard of the term missiologist, don't feel bad. My spell checker had never heard of it as well. But a missiologist is someone who studies people groups, and within Christianity, they study how do you reach these various people groups with the gospel. And so it's very important to our mission efforts that we know how to share the gospel in ways and plant new churches around the world. Well, there's a second term called an unreached people group. An unreached people group is a group of people within the world that have never heard the gospel. No one's ever shared with them the story of Jesus. And then there is a third term called an unchurched people group. Unchurched people are people that, uh, that uh, maybe have heard of Christianity. They may know the basics of the Christian faith, but they've never embraced it and they rarely go to church and they know it out they know it's out there they just don't go kind of like you and the gym you know you know that gyms exist you know that people exercise but you've just never really actually gone yourself and then there's a fourth term and that would be dechurched dechurched people are people that used to go to church but now they don't the Barna Research Group says that that now represents as many as one in ten Americans used to go to church, but for whatever reason now they do not go to church. And so this is an area in Christianity that we're beginning to talk more about and try to get our minds around as to why is there a growing number of dechurched people. So I was talking to Paul Packabush a couple of weeks ago and. And asking him, you know, what do you think? Why is this a a trend within the country? And and Paul had something very insightful to say. I, I know you're shocked that Pat had something insightful to say, but but he said, I think it's hard for them to find examples of people who are genuinely living out their faith with a real joy, and because of that, they start to get disillusion. In Jesus' day, back in the ancient area of Palestine, it was kind of like the deep south in the 1950s. Everybody went to synagogue. That's just what you did. Nobody missed church on Saturday, and whenever you went to synagogue, you were sure to run into two groups of people, One of those groups would be the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were extremely conservative in their understanding of Scripture. They were very religious. They were all in in their religious appearance. But they had a deep, deep spiritual problem. They didn't pay much attention to the heart. And then you had a group called the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law were just that. They taught the Bible, they taught the scriptures, but they also had an additional book of the rules. And so not only did they teach the Bible, but they also taught the rules that everybody needed to follow, and they found themselves becoming the synagogue hall monitors. Now, this was the message of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. If you behave well, God will like you. So therefore, it's important for you and I to be as perfect and to appear as perfect as possible. Now, you know Jesus' message. Jesus' message was, in a lot of ways, exactly the opposite. He said, we all fall short. But then Jesus said, I'm going to do something for you that you could never do for yourself. I'm going to live a life that you can't live, and I'm going to die For your sins and forgiveness and grace are available. And he called people to believe in him as Savior. So Jesus' message was radically different than the Pharisees and the religious leaders were teaching. So you can imagine the shock when, in verse 37 of Luke chapter 11, the Bible says, as he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. And so Jesus agreed to come and dine with the Pharisee. The story continues. So he went in and he reclined at the table as they would eat. They didn't sit at a table like we do, but they would lay and they would eat uh, together. And so Jesus was reclining at the table. And when the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. Now, the moms in the audience at this point are in horror because Jesus didn't wash his hands before dinner, but it gets worse. They ate with their hands, and it gets even worse. They ate out of community bowls. Now, what was really happening here was the Pharisee was trying to trap Jesus what Jesus did not do was he didn't do what was called the ritual washing, where they would baptize their hands and then they would make a big issue out of it to show that they were above the simpletons of the community, that they were refined. And so it, was, it had turned into a look-at-me type ceremony that often accompanied the various meals, and Jesus refrained from the ritual washing. So the Pharisee is aghast that Jesus would come in and eat and not participate in the ritual washing. So the Lord says to him in verse 39 Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools! Didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. So here we are at this dinner. Jesus has been invited to the dinner, and now suddenly the music thickens because Jesus is irritated and a conflict is about to ensue. Jesus is verbally unloading on this guy calling him a fool he is essentially saying the the problem here is not that i didn't wash my hands the problem here is that the pharisees will keep their public lives spotless but their hearts are full of filth their hearts are full of greed and evil he uses the illustration of giving to the poor. He says, You know, you, you give money to the poor, but you refuse to give love. Now, as you can imagine, the dinner was not going well. I, could, I can imagine Peter being there, and he's getting a little uncomfortable here with the verbal exchange. And he's like, Well, how about the cowboys? You know, how, how do you think they're going to do in the upcoming season? But Jesus was not going to back off. In fact, Jesus was going all in, and this is a passage where Jesus is just going to open up the Pharisees and he's going to expose them as the hypocrites that they are. And as we work through this passage today, I I want you to see that there's also five warning signs that can serve as a signal to each of us that we might be falling into hypocrisy. So he says in verse 42, but woe to you Pharisees. You give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Now from the outside looking in, the Pharisees were doing pretty well. They were leaders within the community, they were always at church, they participated in all the ceremonies and all the holy days, they always followed the rules, they washed their hands before the Texas barbecue. From the outside looking in, the Pharisees were doing really well. They even tithed on the herbs from their garden. My daughter, McKenna, I told you a few weeks back, she's growing a garden this summer. And so she's all excited today because she gets to pick three cantaloupes. The first three cantaloupes are are ready to go. But could you imagine she picks those cantaloupes and she cuts them and she measures and she makes sure that she gets a tenth of that cantaloupe. And whenever the offering is taken, she puts that tenth of cantaloupe right there in the offering plate. That's how detailed the Pharisees were. Even the herbs of their garden they were willing to tithe upon, yet they neglected their heart. And so here's the first warning sign on the road to hypocrisy. You care about the outward appearance, but you care less about the heart. And Jesus is essentially saying, you Pharisees are doing a lot of the right things. It's not bad that they were were studying the Bible, that they were giving tithes, that they were uh, participating in the religious rituals. There was nothing wrong with that. Jesus says, these things should be done, but the problem is, is that you're doing them with the wrong motivation. And so he continues in verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees. Let's have a little fun here. Every time I say, woe to you, every time Jesus says, woe to you, just go, boo, okay? You ready? Woe to you, Pharisees. There you go. You love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you. (laughs) You are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't know it. I uh, grew up in church. I imagine a lot of you grew up going to church. How, m- how many of you guys remember the platform seats? You know, back when we were growing up in church, uh, uh, they used to have seats that would go all the way across the back, and uh, you'd have various people. A lot of times, in some churches, the entire church staff would sit in the platform seats. And sometimes you would have, uh, like the deacon of the week would get a, a platform seat, or whoever was reading the scripture would get a, a platform seat. And I remember as a little kid looking up at the stage and the platform seats and the, and the men that were sitting in those chairs, and I would look up to them and I would think, man, I, uh, they, they really love the Lord. They're, they're, they're people that I, I, I admire. Well, in the Jewish synagogues, you had the front row seats. You had the luxury boxes, if you will. And and the leaders, those that were really admired, those that had uh, led the way, they would get to sit in those front seats where everybody could see them and they, they could receive the accolades that they desired. And here's the second warning sign. You start craving recognition. You want everybody to notice you, to praise you. Now, be careful here. This does not mean that because a minister preaches on TV or because someone writes a book, draws a crowd, has a nice home or drives a nice vehicle, that doesn't mean that a person or a minister is a hypocrite. Where Jesus is going here, what this does mean, is that if your motivation for ministry, whatever that ministry might be, from singing in a choir to teaching a life group to being a pastor like myself, if your motivation for ministry is to be seen and admired, you are running down the road to hypocrisy. Now here's the caffeinated truth For Christian leaders, when you go down the hypocrite's path, you take other people with you. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you're like unmarked graves. The innocent people are walking over the bodies of the dead. They are contaminating themselves spiritually and they don't even know it. You are not just going down that path yourself, but you're also drawing people down the wrong path. And so Jesus continues to press the issue. One of the experts in the law answered him Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. <laughs> that's, that's quite a statement there. <laughs> you know, when you say these things about the Pharisees, you're insulting us, religious, the teachers of the law as well. And so Jesus, he didn't say, well, I'm sorry about that. In fact, he continued to go at them. He said to them, woe also to you experts in the law. Yeah. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, yet you yourselves Don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. You see, here's the third warning sign. You begin to teach a gospel of rules. But the rules don't apply to you. In my neighborhood, there's a running, walking trail that I like to frequent. And as you go to the front of the trail... There's a sign, and on the sign, it has the, the trail rules. There's probably, what, about 10, 10 rules there, Karis? And, and so we'll, we'll read the rules sometimes, and uh, then you go on the trail. Now, could you imagine if uh, every 10 feet, there was another sign with more rules? And then you go 15 more feet, and there's another sign with more rules, And then a few more feet. And there's another sign with more rules. The road, the path to hypocrisy is lined with rules. It preaches a gospel that redeems people with rules. If you will just behave, then you can earn your salvation. If you will just do better. And it controls people with fear. But the road to the cross is lined with grace. It preaches a gospel that redeems people from sin and holds people with love. Well, Jesus continues in verse 47. Woe to you! You build monuments to the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their monuments. Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. In the Old Testament, there's a line of martyrs, people that were killed for their faith in God. begins with Abel, all the way back in Genesis, and it ends with Zechariah. Now, here's the irony. The Pharisees and the religious leaders were building monuments. Here lies Zechariah. They were building testimonies to these martyrs of the faith and honoring them and revering them. Yet, at the same time, it was their own fathers and grandfathers who killed them. So here's the fourth warning sign. You praise people to their face, but then stab them in the back. You build monuments to them when they're in your presence. But when they leave, you tear them to shreds. When you start doing that, you better pay attention. Because it's a warning sign of hypocrisy. Well, Jesus continues in verse 52. Woe to you experts in the law. You have taken away the key of knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves, and you hindered those who were going in. And when he left there, the scribes and Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and to cross-examine him about many things. And they were lying in wait for him to trap him in something he said. Here's the fifth warning sign. People get hurt. Look at at verse 52 again. You've taken away the key of knowledge. You didn't go into the kingdom yourselves. You, You didn't embrace me yourselves. That's one thing. But... You hindered those who were going in. You held others back from experiencing what God had for them. And then whenever He leaves, the scribes and the Pharisees begin plotting together to catch Him. Because what they ultimately wanted to do was kill Him. Now here's the irony of this entire story. The religious leaders had God sitting at their table and they were missing it. They talked about God. They said they worshiped God. They gave to God. Here's God sitting in their dining room and they miss it. And their hypocrisy was not just hurting them, but it was keeping other people from seeing it as well. To be a hypocrite is to wear a mask, and the mask that they wore had no eyes. They could not see, and they had become so blinded. That when the Son of God sits right in front of him, they see him as evil and they begin to plot together to kill him just as their fathers and grandfathers had killed the prophets before him. Now, please hear me on this. Make sure you hear this. A hypocrite is not someone who sins. We all sin. Okay, The fact that you sin does not make you a, a hypocrite. I, I'm a sinner. There are times that I do or say things that I just should not do. I, I shouldn't react that way. This is not who, who I want to be in Christ. But don't judge me, man. Because you're a sinner too. Okay? The fact that we're sinners does not make you a hypocrite. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. No, I didn't make, up, make that up, but that's what I want to be. Okay. A hypocrite, though, is someone who pretends. They pretend as if they do not sin. And then they begin to use rules... Fear, secrecy, flattery, and good works to mask the darkness of their heart. They're pretenders. Now, if we were to be really honest, there are times when all of us in the room can begin to fall into the trap of pretending. Just kind of playing the part. But your heart is sincere. And so to the sincere, I say this. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to pretend. Jesus never called you to be perfect, but to trust in the one who is. God does not see you as righteous because of the good things that you do. He sees you as righteous in Christ. And you do those good things not in order to earn the love of God. You do those good things because you Rest and live in the love of God. When you are in Christ, you are God's forever. Even with your past. Even with the areas of your life that are still in need of drastic renovation. You are in Christ You have been justified. You have been forgiven. You are loved. You are a child. You belong to God. You don't have to pretend. You can be honest with God. We're in this journey together. There are some here who have been hurt Disillusioned, blinded, maybe even at some stage in your life, de churched by pretenders. And so when I talk about this subject, it's very personal. As a pastor, I'm deeply sorry. I'm sorry that sometimes people in church do things that are deeply wrong. And when they do, it doesn't just affect them, it affects others as well. And I think we've all uh, heard stories or experienced people that we look up to uh, falling into deep sin or being exposed as individuals that were not who they claimed to be. And so I'm sorry if you've been hurt in churches or throughout your walk with the Lord by individuals that were wearing masks. But I also want to encourage you to remember... But that's one of the reasons why we have churches. As a church, we're here to help each other. And we're here to help each other live lives of grace and forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus. And when people fall into sin or when people do things that they should not, As a church, we also want to love people through that season and bring them back to a point where they need to be in Christ. And so one of my prayers for you today as I preach this sermon, this is one of those things you guys know that I, what's your sermon going to be on next week? Well, what's the next thing in the passage? (laughs) And so this is one of those passages that most of the time, You just kind of go around. (laughs) But one of my prayers in preaching to you from this passage today is that you will never let a pretender rob you of the deep, joyful life of hope and grace that can be found in following Jesus Christ. I know that our ultimate hope is in heaven. But I also know this. There is deep, deep joy and goodness in worshiping God today. And whenever you understand who you are in Christ, and you've been set free and you've been forgiven, suddenly you are free to enjoy the goodness of God's creation. And people need to see believers like you living out the Christian life With authenticity and joy. And so another prayer of mine today is that when people see this church. When people see this church on Sunday and when people see this church Monday through Saturday. That they will see examples of genuine Christianity. This is what it looks like. When God's people don't pretend to be something that they aren't, but they try to be who they are in Christ. This is what it looks like. When God's people live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit of God that seeks to bring honor and glory to God in all things. And when God's people live with a singleness of purpose and they have a koinonia amongst them that shares love and fellowship with one another when they walk with each other through the journeys, the ups and downs of life. They celebrate the new births and they grieve the deaths and they love one another and they walk with each other through this journey that we call life. The world around us needs to see more and more examples of God's people living out authentic, beautiful Christianity with deep joy. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads as we come to a time of commitment? Heavenly Father, we look at this passage and it's one of those passages that that uh, gets up in our face because it warns us about who we do not need to be. And yet at the same time, it's not a negative passage because it's to drive us to who we are. And I pray, I pray this, I, I pray first of all that You'll help us not to wear a mask. Help us not to pretend. In fact, Lord, if there's somebody here today that needs to trust you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they will come see me during this next song and do so. I also ask, Lord, that you will help us as a church to be genuine to minister to one another, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to open your word and allow the words of your scriptures to land in our hearts. I pray that in our lives there will be deep joy. May we experience the goodness of your creation. May we embrace the relationships that you've brought us. So I pray for happy marriages. I pray for children that grow up in homes where they experience real Christianity. Pray, Father, that You will help us to be who we are supposed to be in Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.